This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Sergeant and Mrs. Smith, you are going to love this house. Is that a tub in the kitchen? There's no field manual for finding the right home. But when you do, USAA Homeowners Insurance can help protect it the right way. Restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Odin the Allfather watched the stern green eyes from across the table. They looked straight ahead and hardly blinked, ignoring the god Thor, who shouted across the room, inebriated once again off his own heroism. I tell you, that wolf howled for hours, and how glorious, knowing they were ribbons that shackled him. <laughs> ribbons! The gods drank to their success in binding the wolf, Fenrir. They drank to Tyr and his missing hand. They drank to the chains they called Gleipnir. They drank to themselves and their cleverness and bravery. <laughs> the Allfather drank with the rest of the gods, but as he did so, he watched the green eyes flicker to Tyr. They took in the stump of his arm where the wolf bit off his hand, and the mouth below those hardened and determined eyes broke into the slightest smile. Then the god with the green eyes tipped his cup toward Tyr and also drank. It made the Allfather nervous. They had bound the wolf Fenrir. The beast prophesied to cause such chaos for the gods at Ragnarok, but the wolf was the green-eyed god's son, and Odin had betrayed them both. He had known the green-eyed god for millennia. They had fought battles and shared blood. They were sworn as brothers for eternity. Yet the Allfather knew so little of the god. He liked to joke and pull pranks. He was a shapeshifter, a thief and a friend, a villain and a hero. He could tell you your darkest and most hidden truths and conjure the most believable of lies. He had saved them all, brought them gifts, bestowed them with laughter, and yet he was like a fire, a rippling flame that danced and leapt and never stayed still long enough to know its true form. Odin swigged from his drink and crossed the room to meet the green-eyed flame. Health and happiness, Loki. No hard feelings, eh? Even you cannot say the wolf was too large to control. I, Odin. No hard feelings. Though I wonder if binding the wolf was such an arduous task for the gods, how will they manage against fate, which, as we all know, is a much larger monster than my son? The smile the green-eyed god gave was jovial, but his eyes were utterly chilling. 
It made the Allfather wonder if by crossing Loki, the gods themselves were the cause of the coming apocalypse. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every week we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today we're focusing on the Norse god Loki, a figure prevalent within the Norse mythology, but one whose motivations and purpose have been the subject of debate for hundreds of years. At Parcast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. New episodes of Mythology release every Tuesday, and you can find us and all of Parcast's podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. The meaning of his name is lost to time. Some say it has to do with fire. There is evidence, too, that it's associated with air. Some say it means knot or tangle. Perhaps it's spider or maybe even cobweb. It could mean lock and it could mean key. But the one that would strike the most fear in the hearts of the gods, the one that feels as though it's the most apt interpretation, that meaning is to break. Just as his name is unknowable, so too is the Norse god Loki unknowable. He's the trickster god, a god of fire, half Eotan or giant, a shapeshifter, a problem solver and a troublemaker. He is a father and a mother. Yes, a mother. He's responsible for supplying Asgard, the home of the gods, with their most important treasures. He acts as a link to the chaotic worlds, the ones even the gods are afraid of. To this day, Loki is by far the most hotly debated figure in Norse mythology, a mythos that, due to circumstance, has relatively little source material. Linked to Scandinavia and the age of the Vikings, which lasted from 793 CE to 1066 CE, There are only two pieces of work that have provided almost the entirety of our understanding of the Norse gods. They're known as the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. But even with the brief morsel we have about the old Norse religion, it's apparent that the mythology is rich and profoundly complex. But the important points for this story are this. There are two factions of gods, the Vanir and the Aesir. The Aesir live in Asgard, and their sworn enemies are the giants that live in Jotunheim. Amongst their ranks, the Aesir count the most famous Norse gods, Odin, Thor, and of course, Loki. Though nobody knows if Loki is a god or something else entirely. His father is the giant Forbauti, a name which means cruel striker. His mother is Lauvoy, or Naul. Some debate that Lauvoy means full of leaves, leading to speculation that Loki was born from a lightning strike in a forest. This would be fitting for Loki. To be part nature, part destruction, both beautiful and deadly all at once. 
As we shall see, the gods are creatures of the present. They act with uninformed instinct in a brunt and direct manner. When they do so, Loki is there to steer the ship and set things back on course. So we might even call him an agent of fate, pushing and pulling the strings of the things that must come, knowing that in the end, nothing that he does matters. This is perhaps why he puts himself in the most difficult situations, crossing paths with the most temperamental and angry gods. Loki! Loki, open this door at once! Ah, dearest Thor, most illustrious and brave of all the gods, purveyor! I have no time for your jokes, Loki, son of Lavoy. And I have no time for your formal titles or your crude and, dare I say, brutish anger. It fits you much more suitably on the battlefield than in my chambers. What have you done with her hair? Hair? I've done nothing with the maiden's hair. Unless, of course, you're referring to Freya, whose hair must certainly be in disarray after her visit to my rooms. Not Freya, clever man. Sif, my wife. What have you done with her hair? Sif? Has something happened to Sif's hair? What a pity that would be for such a... You... All right, I cut it off. <gasps> she was bragging on and on about her beauty and how all creatures must bend the knee to her glamour. Frankly, I found it pathetic and thought she could learn a thing or two about humility. You'll give it back then. Give it back? Thor, I may be a man of many talents, but I cannot make hair grow back. Oh, I'm sure you can find a way else I'll find a way to bash that head of yours inside out and break every single bone in your body. What an original threat. Loki straightened his clothing and watched Thor's broad form stalk down the hallway. Yes, singeing off Sif's hair might have been childish, but her arrogance was just so infuriating. It's all the gods ever did boast and brag and compare weapons like buffoons. Loki wanted to show them, if only for a moment, how fickle beauty and vanity were. But alas, this, like all outbursts of his emotions, required a little cleanup. The only race he could think would have the skills to craft human hair were the dwarves, the gods felt they were superior to the likes of dwarves and giants and ogres, but Loki felt no such pompousness. Each race boasted characters of superior skill and intellect, and Loki would always find a way to leverage the talents of others for his own gain. The journey down to Nidavellir was cold, rocky, and cavernous. He was going soft up in Asgard, with its plush meals and endless mead. Loki had no intention of making this a fruitless errand. He knew the dwarves took pride in their craftsmanship to a fault, and he planned to leverage this as a way to make the gods rich. Ho, Loki. What brings you down to our depths below? Come in, come in. We've just pumped the bellow. The sons of Ivaldi, my dear friends. I'm glad to see I've caught you before you've got to work. I've just got back from Brock and Eitri's workshop. Those swine. Those clods. Lummoxes. The both of them. <laughs> <laughs> but see, they enticed me in with drink, and as I had a glass or two, they started to brag. And, well, 
I could not let those blowhards drag on like that. So I started to boast on your behalf. <laughs> they said they were the best smiths in all of Nidavellir. I said everyone knows Ivaldi's sons make the finest and most delicate crafts. They said their weapons were the sharpest and their ships were the fastest. I told them Ivaldi's sons make spears that can pierce Yggdrasil and ships that can outrun the Norns' hand of fate. Hmm. Oh, but then my friends, I am sorry. For as the drink flowed through me and as the argument heated, I told them something ridiculous. I said that Ivaldi's sons were so fine at their craft that they could forge the most beautiful and golden human hair. Hair that would attach itself to the head and grow as hair does. Forgive me, my friends, for I may have promised an impossible task. Fear not, son of Lavoy. We thinks this is not an impossible task for of all these sons. We know the forge like no one else and can build your living hair. And your spear and your ship, we'll make all three. Tell Brock we shall see if he can make three items as great as these. Let the gods in Asgard judge. Let them deem who are the greatest craftsmen of the nine worlds. This was the way of Loki, son of Lauvoy. He would dig himself in a hole for the sake of a bit of humor, and then would be forced to climb his way out. But if there was one thing Loki knew, it was that the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And perhaps this is what caused Loki to put everything on the line for the sake of redeeming his name. Oh, what curse was cast upon me to leave this heathen at my doorstep? Come now, Brock. We've shared a cup and a meal before. No need for such crass talk. Well, won't you invite me in? Oh, well, do come in, oh great master of disguise. Who is it? It's Loki, bane of our afternoon. Here I'm sure to tangle us in some grand scheme. Oh, a scheme? My friend, I'm here on behalf of your reputation. Ivaldi's sons. Those butterfingered oafs. Complete klutzes, yes. Can barely handle a forge without burning the room down. <laughs> but what they lack in talent, they certainly make up for with groundless boasting. Just now, they were shouting through the halls that they made three of the finest gifts that have ever come from Nidavellir. They said they were bringing them before the gods and challenged any dwarf to try and outdo them. A contest of craftsmanship, eh? Any wise gambler will put their money on the skill of my brother, Eitri. Should I inform them of your challenge, then? I must say, I know we will win, but I do not particularly trust that anxious smile of yours. It makes me feel as if the stakes here are too small. Let's say we raise them a touch, since you seem to want to be involved. To be involved? My dear dwarf, I merely am acting as a messenger. Let's see, then. Eitri and I will compete in your contest, but if we win, we get to cut off your head, Loki, son of Lauvoy. It will make a fine piece of material for us to work with. Ah, this was the type of game Loki liked to play. When the stakes were real and he could challenge his destiny, the one that was foretold, head on. He would take this bet, not for the treasure, nor for Thor's forgiveness, but because he felt rejuvenated when battling his greatest adversary of all, the unforgiving hand 
of fate. Coming up, we'll find out the results of this fateful contest. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. The wager for Loki's head had begun. Though Loki was a betting god, he knew that all games could be rigged, and when Brock and his brother Eitri went to work, Loki had a plan to ensure he kept his head. Of the two, Eitri was the superior craftsman, so while he manned the forge and worked his craft, his brother was left to maintain the temperature of the fire. Pump the bellows, Brock, and whatever you do, do not let up. It will spell disaster. Is that pigskin you're holding? Remember, brother, the sons of Avaldi will make great weapons of gold and silver. Aye, it is pigskin, dear brother. Let me worry about the materials. You focus on maintaining the heat. When they went to work, a large fly with abnormally sharp jaws landed on Brock's hand. It bit with an unexpected force. Brock grunted in pain, but continued to pump and maintain the fire. When Eitri emerged, an impressive boar followed him. It was as tall as a horse, and its tusks of ivory looked smooth and fearsome. Its whiskers were made of gold, and they shone so bright that the two dwarves had to shield their eyes. Oh, brother, I should never have doubted you. This is the finest boar the gods will ever have laid eyes on. Loki, who was the fly that bit Brock, saw the boar, and he too thought the boar was impressive. So he decided to double down on his efforts when Eitri next worked with gold. Brock returned to the bellows with the same instructions to keep the temperature constant, and the fly that was Loki bit down twice as hard on the dwarf's neck. The dwarf winced and ground his teeth together, but he pushed through and maintained the constant temperature on the bellows. When Eitri emerged, he produced an exquisite gold ring. Loki the fly was now quite nervous and decided to throw subtlety to the wind. So when Eitri announced he would be working with iron, Loki the fly landed on Brock's eyelid and bit as hard as he could. The dwarf yelped but kept pumping until blood started to seep from the bite into his eye. He stopped briefly to wipe away the blood and then returned at once to pumping. Eitri emerged with a discouraged look on his face. In his hands, he held a beautiful hammer with intricate carvings and a polished shine. It looks like beautiful work, even if the temperature dropped. Apologies, brother. It seems as if a certain fly has the same venomous qualities as a certain god. The handle is too short but the hammer still should be a decent gift. With that admission, Loki the fly left the room, feeling confident that the hammer's imperfections would save him his head. Then came the time for judgment. The dwarves and Loki came before Odin, Frey, and Thor, who sat on their thrones of fate. 
The sons of Ivaldi presented their gifts first. For Odin, they gave the spear Gungnir, sharp enough that it would pierce through any god, giant, or wolf without even the slightest resistance. For Frey, they gave the ship Skidblanir, a vessel that could travel any direction, even without wind. It was made with such delicate and fine material that it could be folded up and carried in a pouch. And for Thor, of course, they gave the golden hair. It would attach to the skin wherever it was laid upon Sif's head and grow as normal hair. It was so beautiful that Sif quickly forgot she was ever bald at all. The gods grumbled with approval. These were indeed some of the finest gifts they had ever received. Loki stood up just a little straighter. Then Brock and Eitri came forward and gave their gifts. For Odin, they gave the gold ring Drupnir. Every night it would bear eight rings of equal splendor. For Frey, they gave the boar Gulinbursti, a creature he could ride over the sea and across the sky. Its golden bristles were so bright and radiant that it could illuminate the night and even the darkest of worlds. Then came the gift for Thor. To Thor goes the hammer Mjolnir. No matter how hard you swing it, the hammer will never break. Wherever you throw it, it will always find what you meant to hit. And however far of a throw you make, it will always return to your grasp. The one flaw is that the handle is short, and thus it must be wielded only with one hand. That is the finest weapon to ever grace the halls of Asgard. Surely such a powerful hammer will keep the frost giants at bay. Then Thor stood up with a wave of emotion and dreams of glory and said the thing they all thought, but none of them dared to vocalize. Surely this will save us all from Ragnarok. It was wishful thinking at best, but they all wanted to dream that it was possible, and each god momentarily allowed themselves to see the hammer as a tool to change fate. Truly this is the greatest gift. A wonder, a treasure for the ages. Then we are agreed, Loki. I have won the contest and will relieve you of your head. Surely we can make an arrangement. I can make you rich beyond your imagination. I think not, son of Lauvoy. There is nothing in this world more valuable than that conniving head of yours. Then you'll have to catch me. Loki used his magical shoes that allowed him to race over the air and across the sea to fly away. Brock the dwarf then turned to Thor, requesting that he bring Loki back to fulfill their bargain. After such a fine gift, Thor agreed, went after Loki, and dragged him back to the hall where Brock was still waiting. Ah! If it isn't Brock, the most accomplished dwarf at pumping the bellows while his brother does all the meaningful labor. What may I do for you? Your head, Loki, son of Lauvoy. You owe me your head. Quite right, quite right. Though I wonder, how is it you intend to get my head without taking my neck as well? If my memory serves correct, and my memory is quite deft when it comes to matters of my survival, we never said anything about my neck. And so Thor knocked out Loki, if only for a bit of silence. Then Brock, perhaps with some sort of retribution in mind, sewed Loki's lips together, if only so that silence could last a little longer. 
Thus was how Loki gifted the gods the legendary hammer Mjolnir and was rewarded with a sewn mouth. When he shaved off Sif's hair as a prank, Thor came thundering and raging, as Thor does, demanding he get it back. Loki could have accomplished this easily, but that was not his way. He was an opportunist, and if he was to go through the trouble of getting back Sif's hair, he might as well devise a way to make the gods all the richer. But these efforts were rarely rewarded. Instead, the gods took the things Loki provided with a sense of entitled greed. Then they were quick to begin using him once again as a scapegoat for all their problems. Such was the fate of Loki, ward of the Aesir. He would seek out fun or joy with harmless pranks and put the gods in an uncomfortable pickle. Yet Loki always managed to untangle any situation and indeed often was able to make things profitable for the gods. Once, when the gods found themselves in an unfortunate agreement with a builder, they turned to Loki for an answer. Loki turned into a mare and seduced the horse's stud away from the builder, so he was unable to transport materials and complete the job at hand, therefore breaking the deal. Loki the mare was gone from Asgard for several months, and when he returned, he came with an eight-legged horse called Slepnir. It was assumed that Loki, as a mare, had given birth to the steed, making him the only god to be both a father and a mother. He gave the horse to Odin, and it soon became the best and most powerful mount in all of the nine worlds. Just another of the many benefits he provided the Aesir. It was Loki who earned the respect of Odin, the Allfather, and became his blood brother. Loki, who the mighty Thor would choose for company on his many adventures, and Loki, who saved Asgard from the wrath of the giantess Skadi by simply making her laugh. This sense of humor and penchant for mischief is perhaps one of Loki's most defining characteristics. But perhaps Loki's attraction to comedy comes from a much darker place than simple impropriety. Perhaps Loki jokes and laughs because he, like the rest of the gods, knows the prophecy of their terrible end. Perhaps Loki, then, is the only god who accepts this fate rather than push against it, embraces and lives with it. Sometimes the best thing to do when looking at the ugly and grueling face of destiny is simply to smile. Coming up, we'll find out more about how fate plays a key role in understanding just who Loki is. Now back to the story. The gods in Asgard all know of the prophecy of Ragnarok and how it spells doom for their kind. The result is simple. The world will end and most of the gods will die in a fight against the giants. Loki will play a key role in this apocalypse. He knows this. He knows he will suffer greatly in the days to come. It might just be that because Loki knows the terrible things he must endure, he tries to test the boundaries of his own fate. He's not so dumb to believe that his life and the life of the gods is nothing more than a fickle existence. They will burn with the rest of the world. And so, in the meantime, he might as well have a spot of fun. 
This calculated abandon is perhaps why, when the gods come knocking at his door for help, Loki readily follows them into danger. I swear to you, it was there by my bedside before I slept. And I know a few creatures that can sneak through my chambers unnoticed. My ears are the most acute and sensitive of all the gods. Now calm down, Thor. Leave it to me. I'll recover the hammer. Oh, as you wish. But you mustn't tell any of the other gods. If they find out that Mjolnir is missing, they might think less of me. As you say, Thor, I shall tell no one. Freya, how nice it is to be graced by your beauty, though I come bearing dire news. Thor has lost his hammer. Loki told Freya of the misfortune that happened the previous night. He asked her for her magical feathered cloak that would help him in finding the hammer. Many thanks, Freya, and please, for Thor's benefit. Tell no one that he was so dim-witted as to lose track of his precious Mjolnir. Of course, I shall tell no one. I must tell everyone. Loki used Freya's feather coat to fly into Jotunheim. It was not an unusual place for Loki to visit. He was half-giant, after all. And while he could not call any of them his friends, he knew many of their names and often ventured into their world for a bit of excitement. To the other gods, Jotunheim was a land of chaos. Asgard was order where things were put together with care and the people were straightforward and direct. The land of giants had only surprise and trickery. It was not a place for the gods who believed they deserved only the best. Loki did not mind a bit of chaos. Some might even say he thrived in disorder. His improvisation and fast thinking was just the type of talent the gods needed when confronted by the torrential world of the giants. It was the reason he now surveyed the land, looking for a giant that had been up to no good, which he found when he came upon a particularly large mound that looked like a childish depiction of a throne. There sat the giant Trim. Loki knew Trim as a king of the giants, though he wasn't exactly sure what a king of the giants does. Trim heard the whistle of Loki's cloak and looked up at him. Oi, Loki. Odd to see you in Jotunheim without the big blonde oaf of a friend of yours. What brings you around these troubling parts? Loki knew better than to fly too close to giants, for it had gotten him into trouble before. Bad tidings bring me to the land of chaos, Trim. Thor's mighty hammer has gone missing. And with that mischievous look on your face, you just happen to know where it is. Aye, Loki. You always did have a keen eye for mischief. I took Thor's hammer and buried it deep within the earth. Not a soul shall lay eyes on it unless you gods give me what I want. And what could you possibly want, mighty Trim? You already have a mound that almost looks like a throne to sit on. As great as this throne is, I need a wife in which to share it with. I demand the most beautiful goddess in all Asgard give herself to me. If not, Asgard's greatest defense against the giants shall stay hidden forever. Right. And which goddess may that be? The only goddess whose beauty makes men do reckless and terrible things. Freya, of course. Of course. 
Loki made haste back to Asgard, where a very impatient Thor was waiting for him. You must tell me immediately. Did you find the hammer? Did you find who stole it? You must tell me very quickly, with urgency, lest you mix the story up and start thinking up ridiculous lies. Tell me what you saw. Tell me who you talked to. Spare no detail, because even the smallest little thing could lend a hint. Thor, I know certain concepts take some time for you to grasp, but I cannot tell you quickly if you insist on talking the whole time. Well, did you find it? I found where it is, yes. Fantastic. Take me there at once. Thor, even someone as thick-headed as you, even someone foolish enough to lose the greatest weapon in Asgard, could not possibly think it would be as simple as that. And with a little more mockery and a bit of drawn-out dramatic flair, Loki recounted the demands of Trim. When he finished speaking, Thor did not respond. He simply turned on his heels and walked with an intense pace through the halls of Asgard. Loki had to jog slightly to keep up with the bigger man's strides, but he stepped more cautiously when he realized exactly where Thor was going. Freya, open up immediately. It is of the utmost importance. Ah, Thor, did you find your hammer then? You must put on a wedding dress at once. Oh, my Thor. I know you must be happy that I aided in retrieving your hammer, but you must not feel the need to repay me in such a way. And besides, there is always Sif. No more words. Put on a wedding dress so you can come with me to Jotunheim. To Jotunheim? Why should I need a wedding dress in such a wretched place as that? You are to marry the giant Trim in order to get my hammer back. But do not worry. I heard he is a king of the giants. Excuse me? I think I must have misheard you. I believe you said that I would be marrying a giant, which must have been a horrible mistake. Why, Freya, you did not mishear me at all. That was, in fact, exactly what I said. Freya's anger was sudden and ferocious. All the walls of Asgard shook, and she shouted first at Thor, and then at Loki, and then at both of them together for ever implying that she might possibly be so low as to marry a giant for their benefit. The pair mumbled apologies and fled from Freya before her outburst tore down Asgard. There was no more avoiding it. Loki called together a conference of the gods so they might discuss their options in retrieving the hammer. But he quickly grew frustrated with the fruitless ideas. Most of them involved brute strength and force, but Loki knew one could not just march into Jotunheim without severe consequences. No, this plan would take more subtlety. Which is why Loki was surprised when Heimdall the Vanir spoke. Thor's hair is rather the same color as Freya's, is it not? It also has that same smooth, glittering blonde finish to it. What are you getting at, Heimdall? What's the color of my hair got to do with Mjolnir? And the way he walks has a certain delicate but confident quality. My stride is the stride of a true warrior. His posture is overly straight, as Freya also stands. They both have a pompous countenance. And a quick temper. And well-manicured fingernails. If you're implying that Freya is too masculine to go through the task of Marion Trim, I entirely agree. She nearly took down all of Asgard with her tantrum. Why don't you put on a wedding dress, Thor? We can give you Freya's famed necklace. And hang keys from your belt. 
We will adorn you in jewels. And give you the most beautiful of headdresses, suited only for a bride such as yourself. <laughs> this is preposterous. If I dress up as such, I will lose my reputation. The Frost Giants will march on Asgard because they will think its strongest warrior to be a laughingstock. You are Thor, most powerful of all the gods. Do not tell me your undoing is the thought of a measly dress. It is not fear. It is the principle of the matter. And furthermore- Quiet, Thor. This is the best plan we have. And unless we get your hammer back immediately, we will be dealing with Frost Giants banging on the walls of Asgard in no time. Loki was surprised to hear himself use the words we and our. He never thought of himself as one of the Aesir, and they certainly treated him as an outsider. But he supposed a little camaraderie here and there was not such a bad thing. The entire hall agreed with Heimdall and Loki, and soon they were dressing Thor in a wedding gown. They adorned him with jewels and hung keys from his waist. They wrapped a headdress around his hair and allowed a veil to fall over his face. When they were finished, they stepped back. Thor still looked rather large, but they figured the crude eyes of a giant could not tell the difference. And the gods all agreed that Thor looked rather beautiful beneath that finery, a sentiment which caused the god to cry out in anguish. Loki, the shapeshifter, did not have the same qualms and insecurities as Thor, and thus he changed into a handmaiden to accompany the god into Jotunheim and to the hall of Trim. As they approached, they could hear Trim commanding his servants about to prepare the finest of meals, for at last his love had arrived. Loki, now in the shape of a handmaiden, turned to Thor and said in a handmaiden's voice, Try and act normal now. For Asgard's sake, and if you value your life, let me do the talking. Trim prepared a bountiful meal for his bride-to-be, and Thor, not wanting to be rude, wolfed down an entire ox, eight salmon, and three entire kegs of mead. By Odin's eye, I've never seen a woman eat a meal like this. Dearest Freya, what has gotten into you to stir up your appetite so? Oh, but my king, my mistress Freya has only done so in your honor. She was so excited for her wedding day and to meet the great and legendary Trim that she did not eat for the past eight days and eight nights. Of course, of course, my reputation can be quite inspiring. Perhaps now that the lady Freya has finished her meal, she can bless me with a kiss. Trim leaned in to lift up the veil that hid Thor, and the two gods held their breath, ready to fight if must be. Gods! Her eyes are the fiercest I have ever seen. They look ready to burn a hole right through me. Oh, but my king, my mistress Freya's eyes are so intense only in your honor. She was so excited for her wedding day and to meet the great and legendary Trim that she did not sleep for the past eight nights. Quite understandable. But once we consummate the marriage, she will sleep well and dream only of me. Now, I shall bless the bride with Mjolnir. Perhaps that will put her more at ease to know her husband outsmarted the mighty Thor. And so the giant king Trim retrieved the hammer and placed it in Thor's lap. <laughs>
First, Thor crushed the skull of Trim. Then he killed each of Trim's kin in turn until the entire hall was dead. Together, he and Loki, now back in his original form, left the hall and returned to Asgard, triumphant in that, at least for a little while, the home of the gods would be safe. Thus was how Loki helped Thor retrieve Asgard's greatest weapon. When Thor balked at the thought of wearing a dress, Loki grew stern and convinced him that it was the only way. He was, it seemed, one of Thor's most reliable companions, a friend that the courageous god called upon when things looked most dire. This is how Loki existed for a time, years, maybe, perhaps millennia, living with the gods known as the Aesir, aiding them with their problems, providing them with invaluable treasures, but always looked down upon, always blamed when things went wrong, never rewarded nor congratulated, never fully welcomed, but never banished either. For all the humor and the pranks, for all the hilarious vulnerability that comes with a story about Loki, his tale is a tragic one. For as time passed, Loki's life began to suffocate. He slowly started to drift away from his life in Asgard, becoming more and more estranged. As he did so, the gods, out of fear or of spite or jealousy, took steps to ensure Loki would never feel welcomed in Asgard again. They would beat against his trust in them, betraying him over and over until Loki was hardly left a choice but to become the monster all the gods feared. Next week, we'll continue to try and uncover the ever-complicated motivations of Loki. You can listen to Mythology and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, or your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review while you're there. We'll be back next week. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Mythology is written by Drew Cole. I'm Vanessa Richardson.